What happens with imposter syndrome is that actually the more success you have, sometimes the worse it gets because you're like, well, I don't mm. really deserve to have this attention or I don't, you know, I'm going to be caught, right? Like I'm going to be exposed as a fraud. And I definitely had a lot of that. In fact, for a while it got worse. Like the more you're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. What's up, Gangstars? It's your girl, Devana, and this week's Gangstar creative is Lisa Congdon. She currently works in Portland, Oregon, and she's an illustrator and author that's best known for her colorful graphic drawings and hand lettering. She works for clients around the world, including Calm de Garçon, Crate and Barrel, Facebook, MoMA, REI, Target, and Harvard University, among many others. She is the author of eight books, including Art, Inc., The Essential Guide to Building Your Career as an Artist, and her latest book, Find Your Artistic Voice, The Essential Guide to Working Your Creative Magic. She was named one of 40 women over 40 to watch in 2015, and she is featured in the 2017 book, 200 Women Who Will Change the Way You See the World. With over 400,000 followers on Instagram and 14-plus online classes centered around creativity and art business with well over 100,000 students, my conversation with Lisa Congdon is definitely one you're going to want to tune into. We go over things like imposter syndrome, we talk about ways that she got her clients, what it's like to work with an agent and what that looks like now versus what it looks like back then, and really her whole journey on how she got into her career. So I'm super excited to just dive right on into this episode, so let's get it. All right, gang stars, I'm super pumped for this week's episode. I have Lisa Congdon here with me. She's going to really deliver some fire, so I'm super excited to just dive on in. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah. So let's just have you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is Lisa? Where did you start? And where are you today? Well, um, my story is a little different than a lot of people's. Although I think my story is becoming more and more common. Um, Mm. I didn't start drawing or painting until I was in my early 30s. Never considered myself artistic. I never imagined that I would become a professional artist. Like when I was growing up, it was the farthest thing from my brain. Um, (laughs) So I grew up in a pretty creative household. My mom, super creative and you know, is a maker, but it's not necessarily the thing I identified with. And I was really busy, you know, as a kid playing sports and playing with my friends and being outside and went to college. I I don't think I took one art class in high school. And then I went to college and I think maybe I took one elective and that was it. And in my twenties, I moved to San Francisco and I kind of, my whole world was opened up to art in a way that it hadn't been previously because I was living in this city that's you know has a big museum and art galleries Mm -hmm. and I was in a relationship with somebody who was an artist so I kind of got introduced to this whole world of creativity that um that was so much bigger than what I grew up with and um still though I never imagined that would be me like I loved it 
and I was really into like decorating my house and, you know, making <laughs> for my friends, but it was all kind of hobby stuff. Right. And then um, in about 2000 and early 2000s, like 2001 or two, I went through a big breakup of a relationship I had been in for a long time. And I was kind of looking for things to fill my newly empty schedule because the relationship had taken up so much of my time. I always had somebody to do something with and I was single and living by myself for the first time in my adult life. And so I decided to take some art classes just for fun. And that was kind of the beginning for me. I caught, I got hooked and um, I was sort of terrible in the way that everyone is kind of terrible when they first start drawing and painting. Like <laughs> it wasn't like I, you know, I picked up a paintbrush or a pencil and I had some like innate talent. I mean, that happens sometimes with some people, but I definitely wasn't that person. I just loved it and I was having fun and it gave me something to focus on and a way to kind of express myself during this sort of difficult time. Mm-hmm. And then in about 2004, I decided to start a blog. And this was back when blogging was like, you know, kind of what social media is now. Everyone. Yeah, you came in at the right time. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Um, and so I just started like making stuff, sharing stuff what I, that I was making on my blog. And then I was also on, you know, Flickr, which is this photo sharing site, which it's kind of like, I remember Flickr. <laughs> yeah. It's like the original Instagram, right? Like you could yeah. post on people's photos and like follow people. And um, it seems so antiquated now when we look at, at it, but at the time it was kind of this revolutionary way for creative people to connect, even people who weren't photographers, just regular people. So I, I was really into that. I met a lot of people and I, I started to sort of see a picture of what living a, you know, a more creative life potentially even a professional creative life could look like. Cause I was like, just kind of immersed in line on, you know, in, um, you know, seeing art um, everywhere and like following artists and getting inspiration from artists and, mm-hmm. you know, and I made friends and I just, I don't know, my kind of worldview changed in that period of time. And in, in about 2006, so about two years later, um, there was a little shop in Seattle that no longer exists, but at the time they asked me, you know, if I wanted to have a little show in their shop. And I was like, oh my God, is this really happening? Like somebody wants to, you know, put up a little art exhibit of my work. And <laughs> um, my work looked, you know, kind of different than it does now. I mean, there are definitely some some themes in my work, you know, from from back then, 16 years ago or whatever. But I guess it was, yeah, 14 years ago. Um, but I went for it and I got really excited about it. And then the next year I opened an Etsy shop and I had another show at another store, but this one was in New York and it got written about in a, you know, in an online, you know, magazine and the show sold out and like things just really started to happen for me. So I thought, what would it look like if I quit my job? <laughs> that was kind of the next question I asked myself. And instead of right. doing that, I, I just went part-time and started trying to figure out like, what are all the ways that I could make a living doing this thing, which I had What was your job previously? Oh, I worked on, um, so my first job, um, you know, not right out of college, but within a couple of years, I, I went back to school and got my teaching credentials. So I taught elementary school. Oh, wow. Like, for about seven or eight years. And then I went to work at a nonprofit organization that worked with public schools. So 
I was kind of always working in public education and, um, and I was in San Francisco. So we were working with schools that were serving a lot of black, black and brown kids. And we were trying to like improve education for them mm-hmm. through like working with teachers on things like everything from, you know, racism to, you know, curriculum changes and leadership and all kinds of things. And I loved my job and I had great coworkers, but once I like took a bite of the art apple, so to speak, I was, <laughs> I was like, I want to do this all of the time. I mean, I didn't realize at the time, like how hard of a job it is, especially when your art business becomes successful. But, but I was kind of all in from the beginning and eventually, you know, I quit my job altogether and, you know, kind of, I was a little bit of a starving artist, not literally, but, you know, in the beginning, I was definitely poor for a couple of years, but I was really determined to figure out like as many different income streams. Um, And I tried out everything that I could. And I I actually eventually ended up writing a book about it called Art Inc. And, um, but, you know, that was, you know, and I was lucky because I was older and I like had had this job and had all these organizational skills and people skills right well maybe wouldn't have had it if I had started when I was 22 and it was so that really helped me I think and um you know it took a while but then you know within about five or six years like my business really started to take off and um you know I do everything now from commercial illustrations so people hire me to illustrate books and you know magazine and newspaper articles and you know, I do packaging design and um, murals and all that, you know, just everything that's illustrated products. And then, you know, I have a, a shop, an online shop and a, a, a shop in front of my studio that before COVID was open twice a week. <laughs> now it's just open for pop-ups and I do fine art shows. Um, I do public speaking. I teach classes. I've written eight books and I have a couple more coming out next year. So I've done a lot in the last, you know, um, 13 years, but, um, it all sort of like culminated in this like, um, business that I, like I said, I never could have imagined back when I started would be possible. And like you, I'm really, really like passionate about sharing my knowledge and, you know, everything I've learned with other people. Cause I feel like Mm -hmm. as an industry, we're stronger together if we share information. So, um, so I teach and write about a lot about, you know, art business and, and that's really important to me. Oh my gosh. I love that. Like you are the true definition of a gangstar creative <laughs> doing the damn thing. Yeah. And I want to point out, like you, you said, like it took about five to six years before your business, like really felt like it was taking off. And I think that's something that our, the listeners can take note of is especially in today's, you know, um, instant gratification age, so to speak, where people see all these people on social media, like having the success and the life that they strive for and having this amazing business, but people don't realize it's like a process and things take time and things don't happen overnight. That's exactly right. I mean, I couldn't say it better than that. Like, I think that, that there is this way that, you know, um, we see you know, something on the internet or somebody, you know, making art in a certain way or having a certain amount of success or working with certain clients or, and we think we want that. And then we don't realize that it actually, it's possible, but it, it, 
it takes a lot of time and effort and, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially like when like me, you, I had no connections in the art world. I didn't go to art school. I was self-taught. So often that can take people a lot longer. I mean, I had like that, the benefit of having all this work experience, which I think helped me run a business, but mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, as far as art was concerned, I had to like, it took me longer because I was teaching myself than, you know, sitting in a classroom and having someone teach me how to use Photoshop or Illustrator right. or how to draw, you know, this or that. And, um, and it does, it takes a really long time. And that's actually one of the things that I talk about a lot on social media and in my classes. And when I do speaking is this idea of being patient um, and determined because, um, you know, no matter what story you think you're looking at when you scroll through Instagram, it's, it's hardly ever what you think. Right. And, um, we see this really on a like narrow picture of someone's journey and it really is always more complex and difficult (laughs) than, than we, than we see. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, social media is like a curation of what we want people to see. So it's always a good reminder to, for everybody to like, remember that, like what you see isn't everything that's encompassed in that one single image or like a whole like beautiful feed that's all branded or whatever it is. So it's really important to note that. Um, But I'm, I'm curious to know like what in that moment that you were, you decided to like dive in and go full-time into your art career, was there a specific reason that made you kind of jump ship? Did you like have a certain plan to like quit your day job and go full-time, like saving an amount of money or like hit the certain milestone in your, your day job to then jump ship or like, what was that pivotal moment? You know, I don't know that it was one moment. I think that like there was this moment that happened where I realized that, um, well, just to backtrack a little bit, the, so the, I think I mentioned that I had this show at this store in New York Mm -hmm. and, um, I had become friends with the woman who owned the store and she was going to be moving. I lived in San Francisco at the time she lived in New York, but she and her husband were going to be moving to San Francisco and he had finished graduate school there or something. And and she was going to open a store this under the same name in San Francisco. And we just got to talking and I was like, you know, I've really been wanting to, you know, quit my job. And so what if we, do you want a business partner? Like, what if we opened a store together? Because I want to be a full-time artist, but I'm not ready to do that yet. But I also don't want to be working anymore because I feel like even when you some of your listeners probably can relate to this, but even when you go to work part-time, you're still really working more than part-time, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's like hard to cut it off. And so I knew that I would have an easier time having a flexible schedule if I had another kind of um, like freelance or entrepreneurial endeavor helping make my living versus working for this organization that I worked for previously. Right. And so, I decided, um, so she was like, yes, let's do this. And so we opened this shop together where, you know, I was able to sell some of my stuff that I had made, but we also sold, you know, other people's stuff. It was like a, we had a little art gallery, but we also had like, you know, gifts and stationery and jewelry and all kinds of fun stuff. Right. So I went part-time. So for, (laughs) there was a period of time where I was working half 20 hours a week at 
my nonprofit job, um, several days a week at the store, which we opened together. And then I worked um, on my art business on the side. And so I was single at the time. And <laughs> I think it was probably a really good thing because, um, you know, because I was like, working a lot like getting up oh, really like quickly. all the time <laughs> yeah all the time three three endeavors right and then after about 6 months i left my job entirely and i was really lucky because my um boss let me go part time for a period of time and knew the whole time that i was going to be phasing out that eventually mm-hmm. i was going to leave like she knew that i really wanted to just go be a full time artist and um and so that was you know, that I, f- I feel really lucky because not everybody has that, you know, relationship with their boss where they're like, yes, I want to support you in a dream that is completely, <laughs> you know, not related to what you're doing now. Um, right. So I, for a while I did that. And then after six months, I, um, I left the job entirely. And then for about four years, I had the shop and my art business. And that's really when things mm. kind of shift for me. So I took it in these kind of phases. So, you know, my business partner and I would split up the days in the shop and then we would, um, you know, had goals for how much money we would make in the shop, like every, every week and every month. And then depending on how much money we made, we would give each other draws, you know, Mm -hmm. um, we would each take a draw from the business. And it was enough to supplement the money I was starting to make, you know, as an illustrator. And by that time I had signed with an illustration agent and I was starting to get some work, not a lot, not as much as I have now. And the opportunities were pretty, were pretty like low, low, um, you know, not that impressive, but, right. um, <laughs> but I was like, I will take any work that I can get because I just want to build my portfolio and I want to add names to my client list. Cause I mm-hmm. knew that was going to make me look more legit, um, to future clients and work. And, and then eventually after four years, things really started to shift for me. And, um, you know, I hit this kind of tipping point where I started to make regular income doing illustration and in my um, Etsy shop, and I didn't really need the store anymore. And as much as I loved it and love having this business with my friend, it was just taking up too much time. And I wanted to dedicate myself fully to making art. And then it was kind of kismet, but she just had a baby and she was like, you know, I really feel done with this too. I want to move on to a new creative endeavor myself. And so selling the store, which kind of paid off our debt. This was in the middle of the recession. So for the first wow, somebody bought the store. That's bought the store. And guess what? (laughs) Not only did she buy it, but she still owns it. And she's it's like she she does amazing. I mean she's doing amazingly. She's got tons of employees and for a while she had like a second location and she's like run with it. And we've become and remained really good friends and so in fact I sell she buys wholesale from me um, and sells some of my stuff in in her shop so yeah so it was like this kind of amazing very slow gradual transition and so finally in 2011 so I had been freelance since 2007 I had like only had the store and the and my art business and then in 2011 I sold the store and have been making art full-time. And I would say it was really good that I left both of those endeavors when I did because Mm -hmm. it was around then that I started to just like, things started to blow up for me and um, I wouldn't have had time to have a side business. So, um, and so, yeah, pretty much since 2011, things have been busy 
and um, and I've been doing the full-time art thing. So, you know, my recommendation to people is really like figure out a formula that works for you. I mean, I think for a lot of people, you know, for some people they have a partner who makes enough money and maybe they live rent-free or they live in a part of the country that isn't very expensive, right? And they can, mm -hmm. you know, they can just quit, quit their job and start making art. For a lot of people though, that's not realistic. And so you have to make a plan that is based on, you know, maybe having a part-time job or, you know, doing freelance design, you know, or, or freelance work in some other skill area you have, you know, and right. um, I never advocate for, you know, quitting your day job when you're not ready, because ultimately you're going to be so stressed out that, you know, it's going to suck all of your creative energy anyway. Yeah. So it's not really <laughs> worth it. Wow. I mean, it's really cool like to hear that that journey because it almost seems like I don't know if you believe in like everything happening for a reason, but in a sense, if you want to take that statement and apply it to your journey, it's almost like you jumped in and then you had the opportunity to partner with somebody on the shop that who in a, had originally given you your kind of first opportunity or step into the art world. And then you build a business whilst building another business, which was like your art business, which was like your true passion, so to speak. And then to have someone actually buy out you guys during a recession so that you can go full time and then have your career kind of blow up from there. I mean, that's really awesome. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't all, you know, unicorns and rainbows, but it's really inspiring journey that you have. Well, thank you. And I have to say too, like when I think back, you know, I, I think one of the, you know, I could have easily gone into business with somebody doing something completely not creative related, but like Rena, who's my former business partner had owned this store in New York for a few years before we opened the one in San Francisco. And she had, I didn't, I didn't know anything about retail or wholesale or, you know, products or, you know, she taught me so much that ended up influencing how I ran my business as, right. a, you know, as an artist. And I learned so much from her and it, you know, I didn't think about that when I was like, Hey, let's open this store together. Like I'm going to learn so much from you, but that's ended up, you know, that's what ended up happening. And so it was great because um, it's like every part of my journey, including the, the job I had before I even became an artist, like, you know, taught me so many skills that have been so important in building my art business. And, right. um, and I think a lot of people who maybe are listening and already have a career or um, a job doing something else and really want to be an artist full-time and are just starting out, they might think, oh, you know, what I do now has nothing to do with, you know, running an art business. And I found that stuff that I had no idea, like skills I had no idea I was going to need or use have come in handy. And like, it's kind of crazy. And so <laughs> I, I always say to people who are second career artists that, you are at such an advantage because you you have so many people skills and organizational skills and even if you were like a barista there's skills you yeah. have that you know what i mean like mm -hmm. this isn't just about having an office job or like understanding business it's understanding people and understanding how to like meet deadlines and understanding how to hustle and understanding how to you know get up early and get to work and on time and like 
just, a, you know, I, I think the more age and experience you have, even if it's something that doesn't feel directly related to art is always really important. And I didn't appreciate that until I started my business and I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I have all this, you know, job experience. So, yeah, I mean, business is business, you know, it's kind of the same things that you learn in all different types of jobs, as long as like you are observant and try to take as much knowledge from the situation, even if you hate your job, there's so much that you can still take from it and take with you to apply to your own art business. So I love that you even shared that because I feel like a lot of people don't even think that or, or realize that. Yeah, I really encourage people to do like, like write down, like, what are all your skills? And then, you know, recognize that all of those things are important in some way or another, you know, when you're trying to make it, you know, whether you're trying to open a shop or whether you're trying to get, you know, painting commissions or whether you're trying to become an illustrator or whether you're trying to illustrate a children's book or whatever your dreams are, like that there's, you know, there's something that you especially if you're older and like have had different job experiences, you know, you bring all of that with you and it's not, it's not a waste of time. It's, it's a gift really. So. Yeah, absolutely. When you were transitioning or like stepping into art as like your second career, I'm sure you had your fair share dealing with like imposter syndrome. And I know a lot of creatives or people in general, you know, have this, no matter like what, how old you are or where you are in your career. I even know like for me, like my background was in graphic design, but then I discovered painting when I was in college. And while I was in college in these fine art classes, which I had like never taken before, I was definitely feeling like a, an imposter. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, all these like artsy fartsy students like are so much like better than me. And I don't know what I'm doing in these classes, but I love this and I want to get better. And then even to this day, like I still find myself like, oh man, like I should be further where I am or like I, Am I even like right for this project? You know, it's just such this normal human feelings. And I feel like a lot of creatives deal with that whole like imposter syndrome. So what's some advice you can give around um, having to deal with those feelings? Well, first of all, I want to say that I definitely dealt with that a lot. I, I feel I've done, in fact, it was such a huge problem for me that I had to do a lot of work around it. Like, like mm. in therapy, like it was you know, I would say I, I've fully moved on, not fully, but like 95% moved on from, from my imposter syndrome, but you know, it was really, really hard for me. I mean, okay. Wow. So here's an anecdote. I, when I first started out, like before I'd even quit my job, I decided to rent a studio space because I had kind of been making art at home for a couple of years and it was sort of like getting really messy in there. And you know, I didn't want to come home and look at it. I wanted, you know, and I could afford right. a job. I could afford to like rent a space. And so I found this um, studio through a friend of a friend kind of thing. And um, I moved in and every other person in my, so it was like this big kind of warehouse building that was divided into these like open, you know, there was like drywall between each space, but there was like six or seven of us in there in this big space together. So you could, people could see what you were doing because there was no door to shut, right? Oh man. <laughs> so every single person in that space, but besides me was in, was in an MFA program. So was getting their master's. Oh, in yeah. So I remember just like, I would go there when I thought no one else was going to be there because I thought, 
okay, they're going to watch how I paint or how I draw, how I work. <laughs> and they're going to, they're going to be like, haha, Lisa's doing it wrong. Like, not that they would say anything to me, but I was so ashamed, like of myself. I would totally have done the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so I just was like, there, you know, I'm so, or, or I would like hide what I had made, you know, because, and then sure enough, like within, you know, a, six months, I started to get to know people. We became friends and they were just so kind to me and so friendly. And Hey gangstar, sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're going to want to take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in, hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? All right. Thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. And so they, 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 at one point, one of my studio mates asked if she could buy a piece of mine. And I just remember thinking what this whole time I thought you were judging me and you like it enough to spend $350 on it. Like, you know, like I couldn't, yeah, wow. A really important thing for me to recognize. However, that was not at all like the end of my imposter syndrome, because what happens with imposter syndrome is that actually the more success you have, sometimes the worse it gets because you're like, well, I don't mm. really deserve to have this attention or I don't, you know, I'm going to be caught, right? Like I'm going to be exposed as a fraud. And I definitely had a lot of that. In fact, for a while, it got worse. Like the more attention I got or the more followers I got or, you know, whatever, I just, I would, I was feeling more and more insecure. And then it got to be such a problem a few years ago that um, I was having a lot of anxiety and um, I decided like to do some work on it. And I was working with this business coach at the time and he was amazing. And he also kind of like taught meditation and he had this sort of spiritual side to him. So he was really Mm -hmm. perfect for me because he understood that I was sort of like this kind of high powered businesswoman, but he also understood that, you know, I would like talk to him about my insecurities and things too. And he really helped me work through that and kind of ask myself some really hard questions about what I was afraid of. And I like put my nose down in about 2015 or 16 and just really, really worked on my relationship to what people thought of me or what I was afraid of in terms of, you know, Mm. being like a fraud. And I really worked through it. And Sure enough, you know, it's like kind of like the other stories I was telling earlier, like really amazing things started happening for me in terms of, you know, even more amazing things. And I really was great practice for me because I would be like, you know, somebody would contact me about an interview for the New York Times or somebody would contact me for, you know, like for some really amazing opportunity. And instead of feeling insecure, I would say, yes, thank you. I would love to, you know, like, yeah, like. (laughs) this is exciting. Like I deserve this, not, I don't deserve Mm -hmm. it. I really just changed the way I talk to myself about it. And that's really what I recommend people do. Like you'll notice if you have imposter syndrome, it's really all just messages that you tell yourself, right? Like the self-talk about, you know, how worthy you are or, or, you know, how talented you are. And um, if you change the narrative in your own head, it goes a really long way because in the end, who the, who the fuck really cares what other people think as long as you yeah. are happy and you're doing, you know, the work that you want to do in the world. And, um, 
I, I can't say that I changed it overnight, but over time, I just really like practiced how I talked to myself and practiced how I accepted good things happening to me and um, with a full heart instead of with fear. And I really can honestly say that like today, yeah, it creeps in every now and again, but for the most part, I don't really struggle with it anymore. And it used to be something I struggled with a lot. Wow. Well, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. Cause I feel like a lot of people don't talk about it as much Do they just kind of talk about the idea, but I love the short stories that you shared with that. And I even love that not only did you like recognize that and was becoming self-aware on it, but you even sought out help, whether it was a therapist or, you know, a, a coach or business coach to kind of lean in and lean on, um, to help you get through the, the work that you needed to do to get yeah. you to the place where you are today. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's hard to do it yourself. And I actually think that, you know, somebody needs to write up, maybe somebody is, but somebody needs to write a book about imposter syndrome, because I think especially as women, it's something we deal with a lot. You know, we Mm. don't, I don't deserve this. I'm not, you know, I I suck. You know, it's like, those are the messages that we, that we grow up hearing or that we tell ourselves and, um, and they're all bullshit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's just like, you know, and I, I'm, the older I get, the more and more I realize, like I wasted so much time when I was younger, just like, thinking that I sucked, you know, and it is really a waste of energy. So was there a turning point or like moment for you in your career where you felt like this was like the moment where, okay, I I am successful in my career. Like, did you get a certain job or did something happen? You know, I, I, about four or five years ago, I made another big pivot. Like my first one was in 2011. And then in 2015 or 16, like things really started to ramp up for me to the point where I was like starting to burn out um, because I had so many opportunities and I didn't know how to say no at the time, which is something that I've also gotten really good at. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think that for me, it was like, well, I had like my first tax return where I had made a lot of money (laughs) and I was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I did that. (laughs) I I wasn't, I was making money before and I'd always made money, but the first year I made, like, it wasn't even six figures. Like I had made six figures, but I made, you know, you know, six figures times three or whatever. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh wow. You know, like this is like, I did this and you know, the years would go along and I wasn't paying attention. I didn't do my own books. I have a, a bookkeeper and, and you know, at some point in the year, she was like, I just want you to know how much money you made this year. And so that was like a really important thing for me to recognize. And for me, it's not even like, oh, I, I, I'm in it to make money, although money is nice. Um, but it's like, I can pour that money back into my business. I can hire an employee. I can, I can do all of these things. I can have some financial freedom, you know, mm-hmm. and that felt really important to me, especially somebody, you know, I'm, I'm 52. And so let's see, this was you know, five years ago, I was in my late forties and I, it was, you know, most people my age were, you know, a lot of people my age are, are settled down and have already kind of reached that, that point. And I had mm-hmm. felt like I, I had sort of caught up to where I thought I was going to be <laughs> at that age. You know? <laughs> um, Cause I kind of like, when I quit my other job, I had to sort of like let go of my old salary and my health benefits and all these things, right. Yeah. Live with less for a while until I built my business. And, um, and so it finally dawned on me. I think also I started speaking at a lot of conferences and like meeting a lot of other like well-known 
cool, creative people and became friends Mm -hmm. with them. And I realized like, oh, these people like me and they respect me and I like them and respect them. And I felt like I began to like be part of a family of other creative people who, you know, people I had always admired from afar and they were now my friends. And I was like, I felt less and less like an imposter and more and more like somebody who sort of like belonged. And, you know, I think a little bit of imposter syndrome is, is kind of healthy because in the beginning, you know, things take time and it's important to recognize that. Like um, you're not going to be well-known overnight. You're not going to be BFFs with other artists that you admire right away. You're not going to, you know, all these things that we dream about when we're starting out, like they take time, but then they started to happen for me. And I was like, okay, I can settle into this. I can lean into this, right? Like I'm, this isn't going anywhere. Another thing that people kind of experience a lot, and I'm sure you, or maybe some of your, your listeners might relate to this is like, when good things start happening, we think, oh, we better take advantage of this because this might be the last time. This might be the last time (laughs) anyone ever asks me to make a painting for them. This is going to be the last time I ever get this commission or the last sale I ever have in my shop or whatever, right? Like we're so afraid that things are going to fall apart and it's nerve wracking in the beginning because we don't have the experience of like seeing what it's like to have things keep happening, right? Right. You know, when you're freelance or you're working for yourself, like it takes a while to trust that it's not going to just stop and um, that people aren't going to just stop buying things for you or whatever. And I think finally, you know, after a few years, I was like, oh, I can relax a little bit. This isn't, this isn't just going to go away. Like I still need to work hard, but, but I don't need to have anxiety all the time that it's going to disappear. And that was another kind of realization that I had that I think also helped me, you know, helped with like, not stressing out and not having imposter syndrome and just like feeling like I had grown into this, you know, person that I was. And, um, and I really, you know, honestly, the last thing that I would say is that I started to also like my own work. Like (laughs) (laughs) I'm in this place where I like, this is kind of a, a significant example. So I'm covered in tattoos and I got a tattoo that I designed. People always ask me when they see the tattoos on my body, they're like, did you draw these? And I'm like, maybe I I mean at this point I've drawn like three but Mm -hmm. like at the time I had none and then I decided to in 2015 or 16 I got my own work tattooed on me and I was like well this is significant like I like my style well enough to have it on me forever and previous (laughs) I would have said like no way would I ever get my own work tattooed on me I don't like it enough right like yeah and so I think I, when I realized I started liking my own work, it also meant that I had a, that I, that I like felt this level of confidence that I hadn't felt before. So, you know, I, there's a lot of struggle in the, when you're finding your voice or whatever, and a lot of insecurity. And like, I think sometimes finally one day we wake up and we're like, oh my God, I actually really like what I do. I like, and I like how it looks and I feel proud to sell it, you know? Yeah. I love that. Was there, um, like a difference between how you got your clients uh, in the beginning versus how you get your clients or projects booked now. I remember you said you had like a agent in the beginning that kind of helped. So I'm curious to know what that looks like for you. Yeah. So um, I actually have an agent now. It's a different agent. And so I'll, I'll, I'll share that, that kind of that whole story. So 
in the beginning, I, I didn't really know what to do. You know, I had some made some friends who were, who were professional artists right when I was trying to, to start out. And I highly recommend that if people can find a mentor who does what they do, even if it's an informal like friendship, um, it's really important because I got so, so, I, so in the, in this case, it was my friend Lorena and she was an illustrator and she also like manufactured her own, was starting to manufacture her own products and stuff. And I learned so much from her about like how to get illustration work. And she's like, well, okay, the first thing you need is you need a website. And then, you know, it might be helpful to have an agent. It's not completely necessary. And I would say now it's not necessary at all because they're social mm -hmm. media, right? And people can promote their own work. But this was back in, you know, 2000, you know, six or whatever. And so it's really important you know, it was important back then to, to figure out ways to promote your work. And so I was trying all kinds of ways to get my work out there. And I was, you know, using Flickr and my blog and Twitter when it became a thing and, you know, a combination of all kinds of things. Um, a couple of times early on, I like tweeted at companies that I really wanted to work with and two of them <laughs> led to jobs. So, you know, wow. again, this was back in the day when not as many people were using the internet. And Twitter was yeah. also not a nasty place yet, but um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I kind of like, I do recommend that people send mailings to companies and publishers with, you know, like postcards or, you know, little tiny samples of their work. Um, and I did a bit of that in the beginning. Um, and then I write about this a little bit in my book, Art Inc., which is, you know, you know, this idea of sort of like promoting yourself directly to people in galleries and, you know, clients that you want to work with. And then I also kind of understood that I wanted to build something online. And so I was an early adopter of a lot of social media and which is why I can use my name. Um, even though my name's not very, <laughs> there are other Lisa Congdens out there and I feel really lucky because I got lisacongdon.com. I got at Lisa Congdon for my Instagram and, you know, all the things. Right. And yeah. Um, and I started using all of that free advertising basically to promote my business. And, you know, I, I began using my Instagram, you know, as a kind of like art platform versus personal, not that I don't also sometimes share personal stuff on there, but, um, and it's kind of like, if, you, if you've ever watched that movie Field of Dreams, you know, if, if, you, if, if you build it, they will come, right? And mm -hmm. that's always been my kind of mantra, like, I'm going to build this and the people who are attracted to what I do are going to come. And that took a long time, but it happened. And so I did a little bit of the like proactive, go out and try to find work. And then I did a lot more of like making a lot of work, unpaid, posting my personal work, and then hoping that it led to professional jobs. In 2008, I did sign with an agent. Um, simultaneous to all of that. And she was great. She was a great mentor to me. Also, just like, I definitely got work through her. But then at some point after about six years working with her, I realized that a lot of, I was kind of building my own brand online and a lot of work was coming directly to me, but I had a contract with her that required that, you know, everything that came my way, you know, in terms of illustration work or licensing work had to go through her. And so, you know, agents take a commission and I was like, huh, what would it look like if I left the agency and tried to negotiate my contracts by myself and do all of my billing? Because those are two things that agents mm -hmm. do that are really helpful. And, um, and so I ended up 
leaving and very amicably still friends with my former agent and um and just kind of went on on my own for about um I guess I've left in 2014 so yeah it's been about six years now that I've also been out on my own and then um I kind of also like over the last six years have increasingly gotten more big brand projects so high paying high profile work mm-hmm. and um realized that I needed an agent again because I I had no idea what to charge I was terrified I was getting screwed over you know I mm-hmm. I was like having a lot of anxiety and um just so happens that my friend Andy and his um his friend Ryan were this was last year we're starting a new illustration agency called Coloop and they invited me to to join the roster of artists and it's been great and so now I have an agent again but the one thing I like about my new agent is like if a job comes to me and I want to I don't want to use the agency I just want to handle it myself they're completely fine with that it's just only use them when I want to use them which is a lot (laughs) but (laughs) a lot of my jobs are like you know um, increasingly in the past six months to a year, like kind of bigger than I ever imagined I would get. And so, um, and so that's been really helpful. So I, even though I'm giving a commission away, it's worth it because, you know, he's doing all the negotiating and, and, you know, collecting of money and all that stuff and like helping me figure out if it's the right job for me and asking all the hard questions. So I, I really, right. so they're kind of like the liaison. You just hand over those projects and they take yeah. care of it. And then they're the like, Hey, this is what we came up with. This is what we need you to do. <laughs> yep, Exactly. And, you know, and like every now and again, a project will come my way and I'm just like, Oh, this is a no brainer. Yeah, I'll do this. And I don't, I do also, ha- and I don't use my agent. I do also have a literary agent. Um, but she only, helps me when it's books and when mm. I get so which is like once a year um but anyway yeah it, uh that's sort of like and so Ryan my agent actually does sometimes people come to him and say we're looking like I just got a email from him the other day saying you know insert name of big company wants to do um an influencer campaign with you so I don't do a ton of influencer marketing but I get tapped for it quite a bit and um they specifically wanted to work with me. And so they went through him and, and, and I declined because I, I don't have time or interest in this particular job. Um, mm-hmm. So he definitely is out there, you know, keeping his eyes and ears peeled for work and like meeting with potential clients. But most of the time work comes directly to me now because I've built the social media following and like people find me through me, but agents can be really, really helpful, especially if people don't know who you are because agents pitch your work to have relationships with clients and pitch your work to different clients. And that can be really helpful. Is there a specific way or recommendation you would give to someone who doesn't know how to find an agent? Is there like websites that have like a library of them or is it just kind of like word of mouth that you just ask around, do the, you know, the usual Google search or anything you recommend for that? As far as I know, there's no like list of them, although that it's probably a really good idea. Um, right. <laughs> hello. Um, but I recommend that if you are interested in, in, you know, signing with an agent, well, there's two things you mentioned are actually really good strategies. So just a good old Google search, you know, like art agents, illustration agents, licensing agents, you know, you can Google all of those things. And 
I would go several pages back because there are lots of agents out there. And I, I also think that, you know, the agency world is changing. Like the fact that in the old days you would sign with an agent and, you know, they would handle everything for you. Like my new agency, you know, they, it's really flexible. And I think agencies are realizing that in this day and age, in order to work with artists, they need to be flexible, right? They can't own mm-hmm. you because a lot of artists are like, I don't want to be owned. You know, I want to kind of do things myself. I just need help every now and again. And right. so I think it's changing. Um, so Googling is great. Um, if you have artists that you admire and are favorite artists of yours, like Um, go to their website and see if you can, you know, find out if they have an agent. Um, Mm. uh, You know, it's kind of like snooping a little bit on their about page. Um, Like my agency isn't listed on my about page because I don't want, you know, people reach out to them first. Directly to them. I want them to come to me first. I want to make the first decision. Um, But that's another way to find out I think the main thing is regardless of what you learn when, you know, when you're doing your research, like really look to see if you think that before you email them, um, really look to see, A, are they accepting new um, artists into their roster? Because a lot of places will say somewhere on the website, you know, we we are currently not accepting new artists, like we're at capacity. And you want to definitely respect that. Um, But if there's nothing about that, or if they say that they are accepting new artists, um, or that they have submissions, you know, I recommend before submitting, just looking at their roster and saying, like, is my, does my work fit in here? But at the same time, is it not too closely matching somebody else on the roster? Because most agencies don't want to take your, wouldn't want to take you if your work is too similar to somebody they already represent. And um, even if your work is different, if it's too similar to another artist, but you want to be similar enough, right? But mm-hmm. different. And, um, and also different agencies specialize in different things. So some agencies are really heavy on editorial, meaning they want to hire artists who, who um, illustrate newspaper magazine stuff. Like that's really the main thing that they do. Some agencies focus more on surface design um, or packaging. And some agencies do everything and represent their illustrators on everything. And so, um, yeah, it just take a look and, and ask yourself all the right questions before you write that, do that submission. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I think it's really cool that you still kept the teacher inside of you alive and, you know, you do speaking engagements and you have online classes, you've written books and, you know, you're an instructor on Creative Live, which I think is really cool because I love listening to Chase Jarvis's um, podcast and I've always loved the platform. So when I saw you were an instructor, I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I'm curious to know, you know, how has that experience been and how does that work Yeah, so I love teaching and I actually love, my favorite way to teach is to do these sort of pre-recorded classes where Mm -hmm. you go to Creative Live or Creative Bug or Skillshare or, you know, um, know, there's a number of them and you, you, well, some of them like Skillshare, you can record your own class and upload it. Um, A lot of platforms like Creative Live, you have to go record in their studio. And you have to be, you know, hired by them. But 
I've had really positive experiences with all the platforms that I've taught on. Um, hmm. Creative Live has been, was really wonderful and has been kind of the most lucrative for me because I have a class on there that is a best-selling class. And so. Yeah, uh, I saw your, your uh, numbers <laughs> on your students. I was like, dang, that's what's up. <laughs> yeah, so um, that class has been really amazing. And they're, they, you know, when I was recording with them, I was just like, I really had a positive experience, but that's been true for every, every platform. Um, you know, and, you know, the advantage to having someone, you know, going to a studio and having professional people film you versus, you know, trying to do it yourself is like night and day. And so even though, you know, most of these platforms you make, you make bonus money or you make referral money, but you also make money based on how many people view your class. And hmm. um, it, the formulas are different for every venue or every platform. Um, and, you know, so you always want to read the fine print when you're signing up for, 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 you know, if you're going to teach on one of those platforms. But um, the, one of the reasons I love working that way is like, it's a lot of work preparing the material for the class and it's a lot of work to film it. It's exhausting right. actually being in front of the camera for that long, but then when it's over, it's over, right? And you're just done and you get to like have what's called passive income. And um, mm -hmm. so that's that's what I love about online learning as an instructor. And you get to reach so many people, right? Just through this like relatively short period of input that you give. Um, you know, I also actually, during the pandemic, I'm thinking of launching next year some like, um, smaller classes that are in that are live on on zoom um i've never taught something on zoom before so i'm gonna give it a shot um and those classes will be limited obviously to however many people i can get um mm -hmm. that's awesome group. yeah but i'm gonna try that um and i do in-person workshops sometimes too and i really love teaching um and i think maybe part of it is because i was a teacher and then when I worked in the education nonprofit, I did a lot of like workshops <clears throat> for the teachers that um, that were part of my network. And that was, I think, really good preparation for, like I said, you know, this thing that I thought was completely unrelated is now like coming in really handy. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I love teaching and um, I'm actually, I haven't had very much time to teach lately and this year with the pandemic I haven't gone to record any classes anywhere but I think this coming year I'm really gonna dive back in and create some new content so I'm pretty excited about it and I love sharing all of my knowledge with with people who are wanting to do the kinds of things that I do so that's so awesome thank you for sharing that and then also thank you for just doing that kind of work and providing that kind of knowledge and service to the creative community. I just feel like there's not enough of that out there. So I definitely thank you for that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, um, I feel like part of why I do what I do now and the reason I'm able to do it is because of the generosity of other people who came before me, you know, and mm. my success really rests on the backs of the people who, who shared freely shared information with me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want to be able to give back in that way. And, you know, I think one of the things that capitalism teaches us is that like, we have to hoard everything to ourselves and that if you share something, like there's not going to be enough to go around. Um, and I, you know, I think like, it's really important 
to remember that like my success is your success just because I teach you something and you have success doesn't mean that anything gets taken away from me. And I truly believe that. And I think our like industry will be stronger if we share information and resources versus like hoarding them to ourselves. And um, that's something I'm trying to model, I think. Mm, I love that. And you had brought up earlier, you know, passive income. So I'm curious to know, what kind of revenue streams do you have in place and where would you say most of your business comes from? Um, uh, okay, well, it depends, but typically my biggest revenue stream is my online shop. Mm-hmm. So um, I make anywhere from 25 to 100 sales a day. Um, awesome. Uh, and that most of it comes from Instagram, um, I think. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, traffic being driven to my website through Instagram. Um, so that's. But I, the reason I say I maybe or I think is some years I get. Last year, maybe I made more money doing illustration because I had a couple hmm. jobs. Um, that were pretty high paying. And so those are my two highest. Um, and the, the high paying jobs are usually with big brands. So I can't say the name of it because I'm still, I signed an NDA and it doesn't come out until January, but I did a collaboration with a big brand that comes out in January that, you know, um, was, was pretty huge. And, and so those are my two kind of biggest. And then um, everything else like licensing and classes are probably kind of where I make royalties about of you know on things and book royalties Mm -hmm. those are sort of like the next category or royalty income from classes and books and products um and then public speaking is the lowest (laughs) Ah. (laughs) I I do a fair amount of it and a lot of it I do for free um colleges and stuff but um you know, I can make a decent amount doing public speaking, but it's, I don't do it often enough for it to be a big income stream for me because it's exhausting because it requires a lot of travel and stuff. Travel. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So, so that's, I would say that's kind of like, you know, I had a, I had a storefront in my studio and I was making decent income from my storefront last year, but it's been closed most of this year. So I don't even count it anymore. I I do occasional pop-up shops here where I open it up and people, you know, I'm going to do that for the holidays, but, uh, oh, and then fine art. I mean, that's another one that like, I have maybe one show a year at a gallery and, um, you know, I make a good chunk of change, but it's not anything, you know, is, as great as the combined income I make from the other stuff that I mentioned. So I do, you know, the, the, the fine art, I do more for fun because it's really fun seeing your work on, in a gallery, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I love working around a theme and developing a body of work that I'm going to hang. And, um, you know, so that's, you know, and that's, uh, you know, something I do more for the love of it. Um, cause it's hard work for very little return. Um, oh, I forgot to mention murals. I don't do them super often and I haven't done any this year, but you can make decent money doing, doing murals too. But again, like public speaking, it's like, I only do two or three a year, so they don't, 
they don't add up. Like, whereas, um, you know, Roxy and Phoebe of Pander, like that's all (laughs) they do. So they make a really good time doing murals. Like for me, it's just like, I do two or three a year at the most. And, and so I don't, it doesn't really add up to much. Gotcha. Do you have like a a team currently, or do you outsource to like a group of contractors that you have in your pocket or anything like that? Yeah, I have one employee named Amy. She works for me almost full time. Um, Hmm. Not entirely, not quite. Um, She has one job where she works at another shop one day a week and she really loves that job and she wants to stay. So it's fine because (laughs) works out really well for her. Um, So I have one employee. What's her role? Um, she's my studio manager. So she manages most of my, all of my online shop retail, um, all of my like supply inventory, all of my like shipping supplies, all of my stock. Um, she packs and ships all the orders. Oh, wow. And I have, um, during busy times of the year, like September to December is our busiest time because I sell calendars and I sell like thousands of them. And I also, it's holidays, right? And so I have another gal who comes in named Jen, who comes in twice a week. My sister and my niece sometimes um, pitch in. Um, My sister also freelances for me when I make books. She does a lot of editing for me and sometimes ghost writing for me. Um, And then she's definitely, she's a freelancer. Um, And I work, I've worked with another freelance editor from time to time because, you know, I really like to make art and I'm a decent writer, but a definitely <laughs> editor so right focusing on your strengths full-time position but um yeah so I have like various people that that are on my team and you know in a way Ryan he he takes a commission as opposed to me paying him but he's not my employee but like I, I definitely consider him a team member because I talk to him almost every day and he is right. really in charge of my client work and so um so that's super helpful and important to me too. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, it's possible that I'll get, so fun fact in January, um, I'm like expanding my kind of headquarters. So I'm in a fairly big space right now. It's about 800 square feet. And the woman who has the studio next to mine, we share a wall um, she's moving out to kind of open up her own storefront and she has a stationary company and um, she's moving her headquarters. And so I asked the landlord, can I take over Victoria's space? And he was like, sure. And so they're going to build a wall. And basically right now, all of my packing and shipping and Amy, who I was telling you about a few seconds ago, who's my studio manager, she works out mm-hmm. of my garage at my house that's where my packing and shipping center is, but we've outgrown it because we have so much product now and right in there. And it's like my garage at my house. Right. And so finally we're moving all of my fulfillment, all of my packing and shipping and everything to the, to this new space that I'm taking over next to my current studio. So we'll have everything in one place and she'll have, you know, more shelving and space to pack things and she can really organize things. So that feels like a, big thing because, you know, you know, it was really interesting because just now you were like, what's your biggest revenue stream? And I was like my online shop. And then I was realizing like the amount of money that I spend on infrastructure for it is zero because it's in my garage. And I feel <laughs> like I'm actually going to be spending money to mm-hmm. support this thing that is bringing me so much income. And that feels really good. You don't want to be spending on money on stuff that doesn't bring you income. And yeah, so- 
So I just like, thank you. Um, because I just had that, big <laughs> like, oh my God, this thing You're welcome. <laughs> is actually getting more resources and time and energy. Um, and so now that I have this bigger space in January, I might be able to hire another employee. Um, because right now, especially during COVID, I don't want too many people in this tiny garage, you know, around each right. other. And, um, and if I have a bigger space, I can have more people helping. So we'll see. Um, one step at a time. I'm not a big, like, I'm pretty conservative with money. Um, and, you know, if I have like a gut feeling that something's going to sell or, or, or the investment and something's going to pay off, I'll, you know, I'll go for it, but mm-hmm. you know, I have to be absolutely sure. So. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> That's awesome though. Congrats on the expansion. That's really cool. Um, what would you say has been like your biggest mistake in business. You've been in business for so long. So I'm sure you have many stories that you could share that we could all learn from, but what would you say was like your biggest one and how did you grow from it? Hmm. Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. Nobody ever asks me that. Um, (laughs) I think, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've done a lot of things right. Um, and I mean that just like I've gotten to this place where I have, a lot of things are working for me, but I I think that it was kind of a blessing and a curse. So the, so speaking of help, I only have had, you know, like my shop has been a six figure business now for just my shop alone for, I don't know, four or five years. And I've really only had a full-time or close to full-time assistant to help me with that for two and a half years. So oh, wow. for a few years there, I spent so much time doing everything, like literally writing and illustrating books, traveling to speak, working on illustration projects, and packing and shipping orders, maintaining inventory. Like it's kind of nuts to me that I, th- and I think back to, how much I've entrusted to Amy to do for me and how much of it I used to do myself. And it was to the point where I was so burned out that I was like physically ill um, Mm. and like had chronic back problems and headaches. And, um, and I realized that I was in trouble. So I hired an employee and I started kind of like, I heard Amy is, amazing like so much experience she came from the retail world and in fact she's brought so much knowledge to my business and infrastructure and you know that she's improved my business I think to the point where that's part of why I make more sales right because she like Mm -hmm. has this system that works really well but for a while I had a really clunky system that I ran myself and that was not the best use of my time and I think one, one, one mistake that I made was thinking that I was the only one that I could do, that could do everything, right? That trusting <laughs> somebody else and turning over my precious, you know, baby to somebody else or that somebody, you know, if I, if I allowed somebody else to pack and ship orders, they were going to screw them up. And guess what? Amy does screw up sometimes, but, but also like, so do I, so did I, <laughs> you know, it's right. just, <laughs> and, um, and in fact, she's improved my business and I had to like get to the place where I was comfortable trusting somebody else to do the things that I had always done to build my business. And that was really hard for me. Um, delegating was really hard. 
and it took finding the right person, but it also took just trust and like patience in her learning. And now she, be, I don't like when she leaves to go on vacation, I don't know what I'm doing because she does it all. <laughs> um, and so I say that was a blessing and a curse. You know, it was partly a blessing is because I waited until I absolutely couldn't wait anymore to spend money on something that I knew was necessary, right? Like I, mm -hmm. and I was being very, I didn't just like, be, you know, I, I waited until I could afford her so I could pay her well, right? And um, so that I could afford somebody who, who, who had a decent amount of experience. You know, I wasn't paying somebody $12 an hour. I was paying somebody much more than that. And so that was really like felt important to me to wait. And so that was the blessing part of it. Like, mm. you know, I waited and I'm glad I waited because hiring her was not a mistake. Um, but I, I think that I probably, you know, could have hired a freelancer or hired somebody early on that would have prevented me from, you know, the like almost collapse that I had in 2016. Um, and I think that a lot of people, women in particular, like we build these things, right? And then we get so used to doing things one way. This is my way. Yeah. This is how it's done. And I, if, if I, you know, it's my voice, it's my business, it's my name, and I don't trust anybody else with it, you know, and that's how I was. And I finally had to let go of that. And, um, and it was, I'm so glad I did. And I think I waited a little bit too long. I mean, yes, I waited until I could afford to hire somebody really talented like Amy, but um, I probably could have done it differently earlier on and avoided crashing and burning like I did because I was just in over my head. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially creative entrepreneurs struggle with, you know, wanting to give up some of their business and having to delegate. But I know even for me and my husband's branding agency that we run, like the moment we hired somebody, it was like, why didn't we hire no. like somebody sooner? Like, <laughs> why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> and like, that's the thing. It's like you, and you get a decent person in there and you're like, you feel so much lighter, especially once you get past the like instructional time where you're teaching them all the things that you do and how to do it. And um, that's now I'm like terrified that you know, Amy will ever leave. And I'm like constantly giving her raises and bonuses and stuff because I'm just like, <laughs> like don't ever leave Aww. me, you know? So yeah. I feel, I feel really grateful, but like, that's a thing. It's like, it's hard to delegate. It's hard to and a lot of people hire people and then those people are, are bored because they don't actually delegate anything to their employee. Their employees mm -hmm. don't have enough to do. And it takes, you know, a certain amount of skill to like pass things along to people and teach them how to do things and, and then just be like, okay, I trust you. Yeah, definitely. Mess up and we'll talk about it. But um, yeah, the benefits far outweigh the, the pains, I think. I totally agree. Um, and I know we're running close on time oh for gosh. you. So time flies. <laughs> you said what? I said time flies. How did it get I know, you? right? <laughs> um, well, my last question before um, we sign off is what would you have as like last parting tips for the Gangstar Creative listeners that are listening? You know, I think that um, like one of my, the kind of guiding mantras in my career is begin anyhow. And the reason that those two words are so important to me are because, you know, we, 
all can relate to what it feels like to not start something because you don't feel ready. Like don't have the right supplies, don't have the right space, don't have the right help, right? Don't have, I can't do it myself. Um, this is gonna be too hard. Um, no, you know, what if I make this thing and put it out there? No one likes it, you know? So we're constantly analyzing things and inventing reasons why something won't happen or can't happen. And that's exactly why things won't happen and can't happen. It's because we're making excuses. And what I encourage people to do is, you know, whatever that thing is that you're doubting, you know, trust your gut. Like if, if, if you think you have a good idea or, you know, if you have, regardless if it's for a piece of art or a product or, you know, a business structure, whatever your idea is, like begin to explore that and move it forward and, um, and stop sort of like telling yourself it can't happen. Um, because there's never a perfect time to start something. You got to start from where you are, even if you have the imperfect setup and the imperfect supplies and the imperfect, you know, um, work-life balance. Like it's important to just begin. And, um, and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, including really, really talented people um, who years later are like, if I had only, you know, done the thing then, look where I'd be now. Right. And it takes mm -hmm. time and patience, but you'll eventually get there. You just have to begin. Mm, that was so good. Lisa, thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom. I really enjoyed our chat today and I'm excited for everybody to listen. So thank you so much. Oh, you bet. It, this was really fun. Um, thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and five ways to boost your online sales PDF. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.